Thanks for listening to Allyship is a Verb, the LGBTQ plus podcast that explores and humanizes practicing allyship for the LGBTQ plus community and beyond. I am your host, Chris Angel, and my pronouns are they, them. Hi, folks. I'm Jose Savinsky. My pronouns are she and her. Jose is a registered psychotherapist, qualifying, and registered dietitian based in Canada. She co-founded Blossom Counseling Center, which provides psychotherapy, nutrition counseling, workshops, and presentations. When she's not working, she loves to perform and is involved in community musical theater. She also loves reading historical fiction, re-watching episodes of Star Trek, baking French-Canadian desserts, and discovering new flavors of tea. We met on Instagram, and I'm happy to amplify her voice to honor Bi-Plus Visibility Month. Bisexuality has a few awareness events throughout the year. This month alone features Bisexuality Day, which may be observed as Bisexual Pride Day, Bi-Visibility Day, and many other variations, and is observed yearly on September 23rd. It's meant to recognize and celebrate bisexual people, the community, and history. There's also Bi Week this month, which leads up to the 23rd. I'd also like to quickly highlight that March marks Bisexual Health Awareness Month, and Bi Plus History Month is in May. And now, let's get to the conversation. You identify as French-Canadian and a bisexual queer. Can you share what those mean to you? Absolutely. So I am in in Canada, hence the French-Canadian piece. I did grow up in a household where we mostly spoke French. Um, Did, you know, grow up in an environment where I kind of picked up English along the way as well. But you might notice here and there a little bit of a a French accent. Um, It's often quite disguised, but it does show up in in funny ways sometimes. You know, French-Canadian culture is distinct from like Anglophone culture in Canada. So I did grow up with, you know, different customs and traditions. And I also did grow up with the kind of Catholic background that tends to come with being French Canadian, which um, I don't identify as being Catholic now. um, But that did, you know, impact my experience as a queer person, mostly in hindsight, you know, now that I kind of reflect on, on those experiences growing up. Yeah. So it's one of those things where I have mixed feelings about my heritage, right? On the one hand, like there's really lovely pieces about being French Canadian. I love like folk songs and a lot of our cuisine, right? Like I make a lot of French Canadian desserts that I really love and that I love introducing people to. But then I also acknowledge the ways that, you know, my my cultural background has actually harmed me. And so that, you know, that has been very interesting to kind of explore, yeah, how that's shown up in my life. So yeah, so that's the, you know, the French Canadian side. And, you know, from the the bisexual queer side, that, you know, to me relates to my like sexual orientation, romantic orientation. And it's something that I've really only come to in the past maybe four years, I would say, um, is when I really allowed myself to start questioning my sexuality and really exploring what that meant for me and, you know, exploring some of the areas of my sexuality that perhaps I hadn't given myself permission to in the past, just given the environment that I grew up in and the culture that I grew up in. And so, yeah, and so it's it's fairly recently that I've come to 
land, you know, in the the kind of bisexual identity, it does definitely feel very right. And it's been really affirming to to explore that side of myself and to like find community around that identity. Yeah. And then the, you know, the the queer, like specifically referring to myself as queer, is more relating to like my connection with the larger queer community and how I feel, I do feel very at home in, in the queer community. And I'm still learning how to show up in the queer community, which connects very well to the, you know, the, the topic of this podcast, which is around allyship. And I think it's really, I love how you're bringing the lens that, you know, as, as queer people, right, we can still do harm within this community. So that is something that I'm still exploring myself. So that's that. Does that answer, answer your question? (laughs) I I mean, you answer it however you want. I mean, part of me was like, oh, shucks. And then, yeah, no, there's, there's a lot there to unpack. Mm -hmm. And I do, I do believe, and I I try very hard on these episodes not to insert myself. Totally. But I, I will quickly say, I do believe we can be practicing allyship toward each other just within the community. For sure. In fact, most of the people who are listening to my podcast right now are in the queer community, the queer and trans communities. So there, there's that. <laughs> I think there's something to be said there. Maybe it's still, it's just like, well, let's see what this Chris Angel character does and do they get it right? And it's like, <laughs> no, this is messy. We're all doing the best we can. And like, let's talk about it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I guess I, I was wondering about you saying bisexual queer. I know that I say that I am queer, trans, and non-binary. I'd rather say queer, mm-hmm. but I know there's some spaces where maybe I shouldn't use that term because it wouldn't be very welcomed. Mm-hmm. And so then I'm also thinking about the other person's familiarity with our community. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I might say bisexual or pansexual or some variation based on how I think that person might best understand it, which is an assumption I make. And I totally own that. So I kind of thought maybe you were going to go that direction with it or something. So that's why it was really great to hear your definitions of those and why you include both of those. Was that hard for you? to to piece out just given how much discourse there is around i guess to just to bring it a little bit bigger like historically bisexual meant too mm-hmm. right and so it meant kind of like well then men and women that means i like men and women and now we're saying well some folks are saying it can mean my gender and other genders so right. like did all of that get really confusing for you to eventually land on bisexual queer or or what was that like for you yeah, no, I think that's a really, a really great point. And you're right, you know, when you shared that the language that you use, even to describe your own identities will kind of shift depending on the space that you're in. I, I relate to that. Before I was comfortable, like specifically naming that I was bisexual, like I did start by describing myself as queer and and I felt a bit more comfortable or, or safer in that Um in that it, it leaves more for interpretation, I think. And that felt safer, at least at the beginning, um, when I wasn't kind of openly out with family members and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. So it, interestingly, like there was more vulnerability with coming out as specifically bisexual. And I think that's in part because of the specifics of being bisexual and the, the oppression that can come with that, you know, around biphobia and bi erasure, right? Just, 
not being quite ready to tackle some of those conversations or to to have people make those assumptions about me. So it's a bit of both. So I'm glad that you named that. Um, and yes, I definitely, you know, had to do my own kind of research in terms of what bisexual meant for different people. And, and I fully acknowledge that there are different definitions and, and what it means to one person might be different um, for someone else. And I think it was very like reassuring when I saw that there was a, a, a movement towards, you know, embracing bisexuality as, as more than this like binary, you know, men and women sort of perspective, because that didn't feel right to me. And that didn't, you know, if, if that was still the major discourse around um, bisexuality, that probably wouldn't have landed for me. And I probably wouldn't have felt that that resonated with me. But yeah, so so for me, it, it is definitely having sexual and, and romantic attraction to people of my own gender and other genders. That's definitely how I experience it. What's fascinating is if we go to the data, bisexuality is one of the most claimed identities. According to a recent U.S.-based Gallup poll, 54.6% of LGBT adults identify as bisexual. According to Statistics Canada, bisexual women, 332,000, outnumbered bisexual men, 161,200, by a margin of 2 to 1. And yet... There is such stigma, erasure, if, well, I, I don't want to speak to it. I'm seeing you nodding because we're also doing video here. So yeah, talk, let's let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. And yeah, it just speaks to how there's really not a lot of by representation, right? And by visibility. And that was one of the big motivators, I would say for me to actually take the step in terms of coming out like more publicly and more professionally, right? Because I think it is something that people don't always have front of mind when they think about queer people, right? They don't necessarily, yeah, realize that bisexuality is a real thing and that it exists. And so I did see it as, you know, I do have a platform and I thought this is an opportunity to talk about it more and to show, yeah, like just more by visibility. So I'm glad that I get to do that because I have to say, like, I don't often see bi experiences represented even just like in media or like folks will make a lot of assumptions, right? They'll see people of different genders in a relationship and they'll assume that those folks are straight, right? When that is completely an assumption based on zero facts. And so, yeah, so I think it it really felt like a good opportunity to bring more of those conversations into the spaces that I occupy, both personally and professionally. Yeah, and I, I feel like we could spend a great deal of time just talking about the nuance of, of all of those things too, because I remember even as a younger person going to Pride, it was a mixed bag for me because I felt there were a good chunk of folks there who didn't want straight appearing couples there. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is an opportunity for them to learn about us. This is an opportunity for them to financially support us because pride usually costs money to even get into plus food and, and all that fun stuff. <laughs> 
And also, you don't know. Maybe one of those people is trans. Maybe, like you said, they could be bisexual, pansexual. We really don't know. And so sometimes they're treated very hostily mm-hmm. and, and just not welcomed and, and shut out of spaces. And it's it's really unfortunate because we just don't know. And, and the answer isn't going up to them and saying, well, where's your bi card or your trans card and prove that you belong here, straight appearing couple. And it's like, well, that's your projection onto them. So it's really a you problem because they were happy. They were happy to be here. And why why shut them out? I mean, this, these are just my thoughts, but. Yeah, no, absolutely. I definitely experienced a lot of kind of like imposter syndrome, right? When I first started exploring the idea that perhaps I'm bi. And a large part of that is because I am in a committed relationship with someone of a different gender. And so I that was a big, a big block for me, right? Like, can I actually claim this identity? Can I take up that space in the community? It was a, a really big barrier in terms of really finding my place and and finding my own comfort in that. And so, and and I do still experience that sometimes, right? There's still this like, I don't know, this pressure to like prove it, right? Which is just such a silly concept when you really take a step back and, and analyze it because, you know, there's nothing to prove. That was a, definitely a big barrier in terms of of coming out to folks in my life was that they wouldn't take it seriously. And they would, you know, I I have this fear that people would think that I'm just like, you know, looking for attention. And I put that in quotes, right? Or it becomes very, very messy. And yeah, some of those those pieces still exist within me. Some of those discomforts and fears certainly are still there. It's interesting because at times when folks invite others in and say, this is who I am, they can field a lot of invasive questions. What's one question you wish people would stop asking you? I think one of the things that has been very interesting about my experience is that I've anticipated, I think I've anticipated a lot of the questions that people would ask me. And I, in my like repeated coming out process with all the people in my life, I've almost like front loaded my coming out with like, here are all the things I think you'll probably ask me. And here's the answer so that you don't ask the question. (laughs) If that makes any sense. It almost felt like an opportunity to like educate folks at the same time, right? So like, I am bisexual and here's what that means, right? So that folks can get a good sense of that. And it gives me an opportunity to dispel like a lot of the myths that exist around bisexuality. So, you know, one of the things that um, felt important to me was, you know, I, I would often say, you know, I'm very happy with my current partner and I'm still very committed and I'm not leaving my relationship, right? And and I'm also bisexual, right? So that was one of the things that felt important to to name because there is often this assumption that like, that I'm going to be like more likely to cheat on my partner or like break up with my partner, right? Which is just ridiculous. And, and again, not based in any sort of reality. Um, and so I... I felt that that was important for me to name. Um, and that was really more so coming from a lens of like protecting myself and really speaking to my own personal experience, right? Certainly people sometimes will end relationships when they learn more about themselves and in their identities. And that is also extremely valid, but that was not my personal experience. And so I wanted folks to, to know that um, from the get-go. 
So yeah, so that was an example of something that like I said to almost everyone in the process of sharing. <laughs> so it's like no one even got a question, like a question in. Correct. Right? It's it almost Correct. Okay, so that's cool. <laughs> so you're just being proactive, being proactive. So had you not done that, you know, you and I are familiar with some of the questions that you could be asked based on that. So, so knowing those, instead of people defaulting to those questions, like, oh, are you going to look for a third? Are you going to write like all of that? And so instead, what's something you wish people would ask more about instead? Hmm. I think, you know, I felt, I felt really supported when folks asked, you know, how, how they could show up for me, right? In this kind of new identity that I was sharing with them that to me just showed a lot of care. And it, it you know, when it, it, it isn't coming, it didn't feel like it was coming from a place of like, okay, now educate me about all the things, right? It was more so like, specifically, how can I support you, right? And and is there anything that you need from me? I thought that that was really the most supportive thing that I experienced. Um, yeah, I've, I had a lot of folks say things like, that changes nothing about how I see you. And that like, Still, I don't know, like that honestly didn't didn't sit quite right sometimes. And that, you know, I wasn't assuming that it was going to change the way you saw me. And in fact, I was hoping that that wouldn't even need to be considered. But cool, I guess. <laughs> There's a lot there. Yep. You just shared something with me that's not all encompassing of who you are, because certainly there's other identities that you hold, and there's so many we won't even be talking about today. And so it's like, it's a mixed, it's meant to be a compliment, but it actually doesn't land that way for me. My, the way I interpret that is when I, when someone says, oh, that doesn't change like how I see you. Well, it should, it mm -hmm. actually should. This is a piece of myself that I'm I'm learning about. It's taking me on a on a journey I wasn't quite anticipating or expecting. And yeah, I actually do maybe need you to treat me a little bit differently, mm -hmm. like not coming at me with like questions that bisexual and queer folks might typically yield or, mm -hmm. you know, asking me, like, how can I support you? Or do you need support with like coming out with anyone else? Like, mm -hmm. so actually there should be a change. And so yeah. denying that I think is a, is a missed opportunity and kind of, and it just, yeah, it just, it doesn't land well. So I don't, I don't know. How does that feel for you? I mean, cause that's, yeah. that's my take, but I'm wondering how you're feeling about that. Yeah, no, that, that feels right. It is a part of who I am. Right. And it's a part that I'm learning to embrace, right? And learning to to love about myself. And and I hope that people can join me in that, right? And and that does require them seeing that part of me. And and definitely again coming from that place of just like by erasure, right? And how it it would be so easy for people to be like, ah, well, you're in a relationship with a person of a different gender anyways. So like, you know, they wouldn't have to change how they see me in some ways, right? But I do want them to fully see who I am. And so that does require them like seeing my bisexuality, right? As being part of me. Sometimes when someone who's bisexual or, or, or queer is in a relationship, and again, it, it's like maybe straight passing or straight mm -hmm. seeing and passing is a whole other charged word. We won't even talk about that today. Yep. But <laughs> when it's seemingly straight, when it's a seemingly straight relationship, do you feel invisible? 
do you feel like, are there things that you seek out or do to help make sure that you're honoring your bisexuality? Again, you're inherently, you know, in a, an affirming relationship because you want to be in it, et cetera. And yet I'm just wondering, like, are there other things that you feel like you have to do to sort of find that balance when people just aren't reading you as maybe you wished or, or hoped? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely had to sit with that when I first, you know, really came to, you know, like see the bisexuality, you know, as part of, of who I am, you know, kind of sitting with like, how am I going to get other people to see this? Right. And how am I going to not feel invisible? Because I I did. Right. I, I think most people just made the assumption that I was straight and that's kind of where that ended, right? And that felt really harmful. And so, yeah, there was a lot of, you know, like initially even just looking up like the bisexual hashtag on Instagram, right? And kind of like looking at, okay, well, how do other people show up in their bisexuality, right? I just imagine people like in front of a full length mirror, just looking at themselves going, do I look bi enough? Yeah. Like, did I wear like the right flam? You know, like we kind of go to those stereotypes. Yeah. So short of having like a, a bisexual like pin or something. And, and even then it's like, oh, well, maybe that's just like a cute girl thing. And it's right. like, actually, no. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I definitely felt some pressure to like increase the number of flannel shirts I owned and <laughs> like things like that. And and that, again, was was definitely, you know, need, me needing to reexamine what it means to be bisexual, right? Because of course, like there's no such thing as looking bisexual enough, right? And yet I think it makes so much sense why, you know, why people feel really drawn to these kind of like bisexual, like iconic things, right? Because then it 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 does give you the hope that you'll be recognized, right? And that you'll be seen for who you are. And so I get that. Right. And I, I also had to kind of reduce the pressure on myself to, you know, get some Doc Martens and like do, you know, <laughs> things that I was, you know, seeing because I am I am bisexual enough just as I am. Right. And that yes. is something that I, I really had to to learn and just like unlearn a lot of the the stereotypes that I had come to to absorb as well. We'll be right back after this break. Do you struggle with pronouns and how to use them? Did someone recently come out to you with a new-to-you pronoun set, and you have no idea how to practice? Maybe you just aren't sure what to do if you misgender someone. You can take my online pronouns course. Self-paced and pay what you can, it's been helpful for folks wanting to do better. Read the reviews for yourself. You can find it at lgbtq.school. Thank you for listening. And now back to the learning. I've been following following you on Instagram for a while. We both follow each other. It's a cute little thing there. <laughs> and I, I specifically reached out to you about if you'd be open to being on the podcast because of an incident that took place when you invited people in publicly through a reel that you posted for Pride Month. I guess I just want to give you the opportunity, you know, would you feel comfortable sharing about what happened? I had been sitting with the idea of, you know, having a more kind of public 
coming out experience. Um, specifically, this was on a professional platform, so connected to the work that I do. And I had been going back and forth in terms of whether I wanted to um, to share that piece of myself um, on that platform. And I finally decided, you know what? It was the last day of Pride Month. I'm like, now seems like a good time. At that point, it felt safe enough. I had talked to you know, privately to the people in my life that I wanted to talk to right before it, it became a bit more public. And and I was like, how can I make this fun, right? So I created a reel and um and in I had a lot of fun with it. It was, it was very joyful and you know, I'm dancing in it and it's great. And there was a lot of really, really supportive uh, messages that came from that. A lot of comments, you know, people being really lovely. And, you know, I very quickly realized in the days after that I had lost like a decent amount of followers, which I hadn't really thought about, right? So it wasn't necessarily surprising, you know, given the world that we live in, but it's not something that I had like really anticipated or kind of prepared myself for. It was more like, you know, here's here's a piece of myself that I'm sharing, right? And and was a little nervous about how it would be received, but hadn't really thought about the like losing followers piece. It was a little disheartening, I have to share, you know, these like I've been building up that platform for several years. I know that a lot of the people that follow me have been following me for a while. Like there's, you know, there's kind of a community that I've built around my um, Instagram account. And I'm like fairly open about my views, you know, about queer folks and and that sort of thing on my platform. You know, I, I would share content by other queer folks and like, you know, it, I thought it was very obvious that this was a like a queer and, and trans affirming account, right? And I think that was the piece that was the most disappointing. It wasn't necessarily that people were leaving because I was coming out because that mm, that's fine. I can live with that. But it was more that, you know, people had not read the room, <laughs> right? In terms of the mm-hmm. content that I was sharing. And it did feel disheartening and it did, it did just speak to how there's so much more work to do in terms of tackling biphobia and queerphobia in our world. And I did have to kind of sit with that. And that was the piece that, yeah, that definitely felt felt quite disheartening. I think it can be hard to have that not feel like an attack on you, because not only are these communities you're working to serve, and it's also impacting you on a personal level, right? So there's that, there's that duality. And like you said, you haven't exactly hidden who you are in terms of the content that you post and and what you stand for. And I've really appreciated that about you and your account. And so you have like a whole highlight, you know, on Instagram dedicated to LGBTQ2S plus, I'm not always used to saying that, you know, material and you're highlighting all of these other creators and and everything, which is lovely, you know, love seeing folks amplifying other voices. So it was interesting because the post happened, the reel, the reel that you did, and it it was amazing. It was was so cute. It was just like this, like super joyous, wholesome content, lip syncing to Diana Ross. I'm coming out such a classic. Mm -hmm. You were feeling yourself. You were in it. You're like, this is me. And to think that that would startle people so much. To see you dancing in your truth was just, wow, 
just like, wow, I don't think I quite had words for, I, I don't think I, I still don't think I have words for it. So you created this great post July 2nd, you know, so not too many days after you basically said that you, you just, you really owned it. And you said that it was good because you don't need folks with biphobic and queerphobic beliefs following you and putting your safety at risk. You had even mentioned about, you know, your privilege and your experience of repeatedly coming out and that while you do experience bi erasure and biphobia, you've mostly been met with acceptance and that you have been protected by many other identities. And you also acknowledge we still do have a long way to go to fully embrace bisexual people of, of all genders. And so that you really doubled down, and I loved this, that you will continue posting and sharing content about bisexuality, biphobia, biracure, and told folks, here's the door if you're not cool with that, you know, sort of thing. So, and then it ended with a, I think it was the bisexual heart, right? I yeah. believe so. That sounds like yeah. something I would do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, just in case you weren't clear. <laughs> How did it feel to post that second post? Did you get much reaction from that one? Did you lose more people? Or I mean, did you, were you even like looking anymore? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. I did lose more followers after that. Wow. Yeah. Which I think it could come from the you know, the a place where maybe people had not seen my previous reel, right? And so maybe this was their first like exposure to the fact that I had come out as bisexual, right? And so that's what I kind of think it might be coming from. Um, But that said, I did also get this like outpouring of love, right? And people being like, that is ridiculous. Like, we are still here. We're not going anywhere. Like, we love this content. And that, that was very uplifting and very empowering and really made me want to double down, right? And to keep sharing about this this aspect of myself and, and, you know, talking about the bi community. And it was definitely like a lot of mixed feelings that I was having. Um, on the one hand, I also was somewhat relieved in a way, right? Because I was like, cool, I'm now creating a space that is even, that feels even safer, right? Because the people who are not my people are exiting, right? They're they're heading out. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with that, right? Because I I don't necessarily want to put myself or other like queer folks who follow my account, right? I don't want to put folks at risk of, of experiencing more of these sorts of things. And so there was a little bit of like relief in that way of like, cool, now this is a, an even like better space because my, you know, my people are sticking around and the people that don't want this are not going to be there. So that's cool. But it also was, of course, disappointing to to know that, you know, that there were people who felt so put off by that, that they would unfollow me completely, right? And not want any exposure to this kind of, of content and narrative and story. And, and so, yeah, lots of complex feelings <laughs> that were happening during those few days, for sure. There's been some time and space between those events and now, is there anything else that you've like gleamed from that or how, how are you feeling about it now? Yeah. So in the time between then and now, I've, I've continued to share, you know, posts and things about bisexuality here and there. And I've actually gotten quite a, a few messages from other bi folks and um, just like in my private messages really like thanking me for sharing that content and a lot of, of people, you know, just very like in private sharing that they're also bi, but they, for whatever reason, can't 
share that more publicly. And so, you know, they felt very seen in the things that I was sharing. And that just like filled my heart. <laughs> and it it really made me refocus on like, okay, that is what this is for, right? It it is for me in in some ways, right? Like when I share this content, like it is for me. It is to for me to feel I'm educating people. I'm I'm changing the way that people think about bisexuality. And it's also you know, for the other bi folks who are following along and who are feeling affirmed and who are feeling seen in the things that I'm sharing. So that was really lovely to kind of remember that that was at the core of why I'm doing this. Um, And of course, I had, you know, a lot of mixed feelings as well about, you know, folks sharing like, I'm also bi and I can't, I, you know, it's not safe for me to come out, right? Of course, that always makes me feel just so I have moments of feeling extremely discouraged about this world. But, you know, I, I'm, I was so glad that I could also just provide a, a brief space, you know, for them to to show up as they were and um, and talk about it. So, yeah. It's interesting how people may feel a certain level of comfort with us and disclose things to us where we're left feeling like, oh, do I have to like, emotionally support you now Mm. like I'm kind of maybe needing emotional support but now you feel connected to me and now I feel like I've got it right and I'm sitting with that and how that can get really crunchy you don't want to turn that bit away and it's also like okay you're probably needing more support than I can give you also this is Instagram it's like so it's like I am so grateful that you would share this with me and like there's a limit here to what I can give you not to knock their experience whatsoever you said earlier too about how there are going to be people who are who leave our lives if we are evolving, if we are becoming our more authentic selves because we're taking on new values we haven't held previously, etc. Or we're discovering who we are. Just just all of these different things. It can be challenging to just focus on the loss and try to get to that place of reshifting to. Losing them is a gift because it allows more space for the right people to come in, the people who need to be here now. So I, I'm kind of like just having both of those trains running at the same time. I'm wondering if that sparks anything else in you. Yeah. And I think you bring up a really good point. It's always it's always a very tricky balance in terms of managing like when folks reach out in those kinds of contexts. And I like to think I'm a pretty empathetic person. I have lots of compassion for folks. And so I do read all of those messages. I usually do take a bit of time to respond. And, you know, I, I also want to respect my own like limits and, and boundaries, especially given it's a professional space. Like I am showing up with my professional identities as well. And so I want to be mindful of that. Yeah, that's always a, a tricky, a tricky thing. Um, I've, I did get a lot of messages from colleagues, um, people that I had been previously connected with, right? So people that I've, you know, met at conferences or that sort of thing that we've had a bit of a connection previously and then they, you know, d- would disclose that. And and so that felt a little bit different because these are folks that I I actually have a relationship with. Um, it's a bit harder when it's, it's people who are essentially strangers to me. Yeah. So I'm always trying to navigate like how to best approach that um, because I do think that you know, there are a lot of people who don't have spaces, right, who don't have opportunities to to share that part of themselves. And I, I, 
you know, I, I wish, I wish I had the capacity to just like offer that to all the people. And yet I know that that's not going to be sustainable or helpful (laughs) for me. So. Right. And the guard dog in me is saying, you didn't even get to consent to that. Yeah, that's true. Because sometimes they can share really deep, dark things. And it's like, you didn't consent to having that conversation. Mm -hmm. I don't want to shame those people by any means. Of course, of course. I think that sometimes when we are attempting to, there's a possibility for us when we're trying to connect with someone, we don't realize the impact Mm -hmm. of our actions when we do such a thing. So like, maybe instead could say like, hey, I'm so excited for you. Sorry, you had to deal with all these haters, right? Or that they quietly left, hopefully quietly, because sometimes that's better and easier, right? But would it be okay if I shared my story with you and how I relate to this? And then it gives you an opportunity to say, you know what, I'm not in that place right now. But I'm so grateful that like you reached out and I I thank you for your support. You know, Mm -hmm. like consent's just been increasingly becoming something more and more important to me and comes up in other ways too, like this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think I've mostly felt supportive to receive those kinds of messages. So it's helped me, you know, especially with like some of the colleagues that have reached out to me and that sort of thing. It's also helped me build a little bit of a community, right, which has been really lovely and connecting with more queer folks, with more bisexual folks. And, you know, I've had an opportunity to have conversations with people about how that shows up in our work and how in our training and that sort of thing. So it's been really cool to be able to have those those kinds of conversations, um, which has been awesome. So I, I'm also grateful for the impact that that has had. What's been really cool to look at the website for where you currently work. One of the things I was so impressed with, sometimes people want to just slap like a rainbow sticker on and call it good to be like, we're queer friendly. Yay. And I'm like, okay, I just I just don't know what that means. And so what's different about y'all is that with the names, the pronouns are immediately after, and you also claim your identities on your team pages. And so the identity, some of the identities we've talked about, others that we haven't talked about, your areas of interest, your education. I was wondering, as I was looking through that, I mean, that's quite vulnerable to have that you're queer on there, for example, or even your lived experiences, too, of, of mental health struggles. Was it scary putting this much information out there about yourself? Like, how, And yeah, I'm wondering if you can tell me more about that. Yeah, that's a, a conversation that my business partner and I had as we were setting up our website and talking about, you know, the values that we wanted to put front and center, you know, that we really wanted to be the foundation of, of our business and of the work that we do. And we, you know, we felt that it was, it was important for us to share those identities. And we only did so because we were in a place where we felt it was safe enough to do so, right? So, you know, I I have so much empathy and compassion for folks who don't feel that they can do that openly in their professional spaces. But for us personally, you know, we we felt that it was important. And in fact, you know, it, it was a way for us that we felt that we could protect ourselves as well in terms of the the kinds of people that would be reaching out to us for support, right? So, you know, we also didn't want to expose ourselves to situations where we would be experiencing like homophobia, biphobia, queerphobia in our work, right? With the work that we do with with clients. And so 
it was a big conversation around like, how much do we share? What do we share? Um, but in the end, we landed on, you know what, like this is part of who we are and it does show up in the way that we work, right? And in the values that we come in with. And we we really wanted to highlight that. And I mean, that's in part why we like created a page like talking about our values as well in our work. And again, you know, we we want to support our people, right? Like the people who have similar philosophies, right? And similar values. And that's the work that feels the most like affirming and, you know, that we're passionate about. And so it was coming from various lenses, but um, I'm quite glad that that is something we decided to do. And I would say we've actually had more colleagues like actually refer, you know, queer folks to us, right? Because they they feel a certain level of um, of comfort, right, in doing so. And so it's been overall very positive. And I realize, again, that that is very much, you know, a privilege, right, to be able to be so openly queer and to um, still have a fairly safe experience in my work. And so um, I know that that's not the case for everyone. But um, yeah, personally, it's been pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And I, I love that you're one of the co-founders. And so y'all include tackling topics such as disordered eating, body shame, self-esteem, grief, ADHD, anxiety. This space in general hasn't always been welcoming of marginalized groups, such as our community, being fat positive and trauma-informed overall. In fact, sometimes they can do some pretty big harm. Mm -hmm. They can do some real damage. I'm wondering, was any of that touched on in your schooling? Or did you have to actively seek out information to be more affirming in these ways? Or what was that journey like for y'all? And especially as you created this business? Yeah, I would say that unfortunately, a lot of this was kind of self-taught, right? And very much through doing our own learning and seeking out opportunities, right? To, to you know, practice in ways that are more inclusive and and certainly, like we're still very much learning, right? And and like you were saying, it's it's messy, right? And we we also mess up sometimes, and we're okay with that, right? Like I think that's one of the things that I love about working with my my business partner is we're both learning and and you know calling each other in, right? When we notice that we're doing things that might not be cool, and that's really again, foundation of our, our business as well. It's like, here's where we were at right now and we are going to continue to grow as we learn. But yeah, unfortunately, these were not things that were really addressed in like either of my trainings. So my nutrition training or my psychotherapy training, there's been a lot of unlearning, unfortunately, that's had has had to happen in order to be, you know, to to offer an approach that's trauma-informed and that's gender and sexuality-affirming. And I could talk about this for a very long time, <laughs> about a lot of the deficits <laughs> in, yeah. uh, in the training programs. But um, yeah, it also, you know, it does create, I think, an opportunity for a lot of great conversations with people in the field, right? I, I think there's an opportunity there. So Yeah. Thinking back to my social work experience, it was drilled into us, I felt, that things needed to be evidence-based, peer-reviewed. Well, one of the interesting discourses that I've been trying to follow is this whole thing about, well, actually, that stuff can hurt. 
marginalized groups because if you don't have the right stakeholders involved in that research, there's just too many things that can cause more harm than good. So if we're only treating with evidence-based practices in mind or only following the research, we're doing ourselves a great disservice because what we should instead be doing is reaching out to those communities and asking them what they need. And and so that's part of the discourse is, for example, why should a transgender person be going to a cisgender person to say, oh, yep, you're trans, here's your stamp, here's access to hormones if you want it, this, that, and the other, right? There's a lot there, and I'm I'm definitely generalizing a little bit more here and and everything, just you know, for the interest of time and all of that. But it might scare someone to say that like you're self-taught and and all that. But I mean, that kind of has to be part of it, and 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 having those conversations with the stakeholders and and listening and compensating them for their time and their expertise. But that we have to listen to the people who have the experience. And that's not necessarily a professional, but it's that person with that lived experience, right? So, you know, one of the areas of interest you have is ADHD. So it's listening to folks who live with that. What do you need? How can I support you? And recognizing you're not going to be able to copy paste, right? We can't put them all in a box and say, cool, these are all people who are ADHD and like, this is going to be how we treat them moving forward, right? It's just like looking at the holistic person. And I was just wondering if you had anything to say around that. Yeah, no, I think that is, those are all really, really excellent points. Um, I, I've definitely come to be a lot more critical of, you know, the way that, like, I almost put it in quotes, like evidence-based practice is presented in the the healthcare field. Um, you know, I think I'm someone who loves science and I, I, you know, I think you can love science and be very critical of our current scientific institutions, right? Like be very critical of academia and be very critical of, of our current research studies and how they operate and the hierarchies that exist within that world and how we are not capturing like so many voices because the people who are conducting these studies, you know, don't represent the communities that they're trying to serve oftentimes. And so, you know, I completely agree that we need more folks with lived experience in in those roles, right? In those decision-making roles, if we want to have change. And in the meantime, I think as clinicians, right, as people doing this work, like we we can go out of our way to learn from people who have that lived experience and yes, compensate them for it. A hundred percent. I think that's very important. And not assume that you can learn about these experiences in textbooks because that often does create more harm in the process. And so, yeah, I just agree. I think that's that's (laughs) all I'm saying, really. (laughs) This is now the agreeable podcast with Chris Angel. No, um, (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um. Yeah, so I guess, you know, we've covered a lot of different topics today, and I'm feeling like we're barely scratching the surface here, and there's so much more we could dive into. So part of allyship can be recognizing that we make mistakes. Is there a time you wished you had done a better job of practicing allyship? And what do you do differently now? Yeah, that's a a great question. And I love that question. I I think the 
it's not necessarily specific to any one incident because I think this is probably something that was a theme in my life for a very long time is that, you know, given the context that I grew up in, I often made assumptions about people's sexual orientation or romantic orientation based on their partner's genders, right? And that is something that I really had to unlearn and and something that I became way more aware of when I came to my own understanding of, of being bisexual, right? And that, you know, I am now very much asking people not to assume people's sexual orientation based on their 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 partner's genders, right? And so it's something that I wish I had done differently, right? I wish I had had access to that perspective from the get-go so that I could have been more supportive of, you know, not just by people, but, you know, just really acknowledging that, like, we cannot determine someone's sexual orientation based on they look like, right? Or, or their their partners or their partner's genders. Like there's really no way to know unless like someone openly tells you. So, and even then, right? People's orientations also change throughout their lives. So they can tell you once and in three years, it could be different. So we always have to be open to that. And so that is definitely something that I think back to and, and, and speaks to, you know, the internalized biphobia that I was experiencing. And yeah, I mean, now I, I, I try and my my best right to to be very curious and and to not make those sorts of assumptions and i hope that other people can do that as well what's one allyship tip you'd like for everyone listening to consider we really need to expand our views in terms of how sexuality shows up for folks how their sexual orientation shows up we need to really think outside of this like binary of people are gay or straight. And that's like, you know, the very much the predominant narrative. And that harms so many people for so many different reasons. And not just, again, not just by folks, but really folks of, of various sexual orientations. I would encourage people to to get really curious about the assumptions that they make, even when they're, for example, like watching a TV show, right? And there's a, a couple that they might assume is like a queer couple or a lesbian couple, right? And be like, oh, wait a minute. I know nothing about these people's genders. I know nothing about their sexual orientation. I'm 100% assuming based on like previous narratives that I've absorbed. So that would be one one thing that I would encourage folks to do is actively seek out opportunities to like question their assumptions that they make. Visit allyshipisaverb.com for any resources and a full transcript of the episode. Thank you for practicing allyship with me. And remember, sometimes allyship means questioning your assumptions. Mm-hmm.